0: and uh, this church located in the province of Macedonia, and they had been well-established, and they were looking after the needs of Paul. So uh, to understand, there was a man by the name of Epaphroditus. I get my tongue twisted on that. Epaphroditus. But he had been commissioned with taking a care package to Paul. He had been given a care package and said, hey, Paul is in prison, and so take this to Paul and make sure he has it. And so it would be like, you know, finding out what a prison would allow you to send in and, and sending those things in or um, uh, of the sorts. So that was uh, kind of the background there. And Epaphroditus just about died delivering this care package. We'll look at this next week in, in greater depth. But he got very sick in his journeys, but he never gave up. He continued to go, uh, go on with it, and he made sure that uh, he was willing to sacrifice uh, p- potentially even die in order to get this care package uh, to Paul. Paul most likely, it's hard to pin down, but Paul most likely was in prison in Rome awaiting uh, his trial where he would eventually be executed. But Paul would write a letter back to the church and put it back in the hand of Epaphroditus. And when he was better, Epaphroditus would take it back to Philippi where it would be delivered. This is not a letter of uh, a lot of chiding or... Uh, 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 Paul trying to correct there is some gentle correction found in the book from Paul to the church of Philippi But mostly it is lifting up Christ what he did and uh, Telling us that it is our it ought to be our goal to live by the same model that Christ Jesus Christ the Messiah lived uh, his life So developing the mind of Christ Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 is the theme verse is the key verse ...of the book, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying that is, you need to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. You need to look at everything in life the way Jesus would look at it if he walked in your shoes. Or, better put, you need to quit walking in your shoes and you need to start walking in the shoes of Jesus Christ... And if we do that, that will radically transform who we are. It will radically transform a lot of what we do. It will radically transform how we think, how we behave. It will transform our work ethic. It will transform every single corner of our heart and of our lives. And so do we think like Christ? The answer is not like we ought to. Not what? Not like we ought to. That goes for everybody in the in the room, that goes for every Christian on the planet, uh, that goes for the worst Christian on the planet, that goes for the best Christian on the planet. All of us can better think like Christ. All of us need to work toward daily, uh, actively pushing toward thinking like Christ would think. Uh, uh, back in the 90s, it was really common to wear the WWJD bracelets. How many of you remember the WW, how many of you wore a WWJD? Okay, if you he here did. What would Jesus do? Uh, I think I was a eighth or ninth grader and I was, uh, required to read the book In His Steps. Anybody here ever read the book In His Steps? That's, the whole book is based around a city. That was a long time ago. I, so if I get this wrong, forgive me. But, uh, around a city where they begin to behave based on what would Jesus do. I remember the irony of turning on an NBA game in the 90s and seeing this guy who um, uh, was uh, an NBA player, and he had just cut this filthy, foul-mouthed rap album, and then he's on the basketball court the next week with the WWJD bracelet. And I thought, well, Jesus wouldn't have been cutting that album last week. That's for sure. But, you know, the hypocrisy there. And I'm not throwing stones. I saw a sign the other day that said, this church is not full of hypocrites. We have plenty of room left. Come and join us. Amen. Uh, we're uh, 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 people that say they don't go to church because they're hypocrites. Do you go to Walmart? Because there's hypocrites there. Do, do you go out to eat? There's hypocrites there. It's a pretty small excuse, right? Pretty lame excuse. We go everywhere else. You go to work. I guarantee you there are, work, there are hypocrites at work. I know because you go there <laughs> uh, and I go here. So um, uh, but um, uh, I got off track there. But uh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And so that is a, that is really the question of the book. Do we think like Christ? Do we operate our lives the way Christ would. To get very practical this evening, mom, are you a mother to your children the way Christ wants you to be a mother to your children? Uh, grandparents, you have grandchildren. Are you the grandparent to your children that... Christ would be if he were in your shoes. And that goes for if your children are little, if they're big. Are you a brother or sister like Christ would have you to be? Uh, are you a church member the Christ way Christ would have you to be? Uh, uh, do we behave in our daily living the way that Christ would have us to behave? And so the uh, whole book is centered around that thought. And so by the time we get through this evening, if I don't chase too many rabbits, we're going to get down through uh, that uh, that poem there in Philippians 2. But let's jump back to Philippians 1 in the beginning of the book here. And uh, let's notice we're going to look at three thoughts, three principal thoughts this evening. We'll look at three more next week. Number one, notice the evolution of the church. The evolution of the church. Now, I know that we're creationists at White Oak Baptist Church. And we don't believe in the Big Bang Theory. We believe that God spoke it and the earth came into existence. But when I use the word evolution, I'm not talking about that. Does everybody understand what I mean by this? The growth, the evolving, the coming around. Uh, when I first got saved, I understood about that much of the gospel. Now, if the gospel is this much, I probably still only understand about this much. i got a lot more I can grow and know. But my knowledge of the gospel has evolved with time. And the church is to evolve. Now, um, I coached basketball. I've mentioned that before. And uh, I remember one uh, year we went to a end-of-the-year tournament, little Christian school league. And I think there were like eight teams in our league, so they wanted every team in the tournament regardless of what your record was. Thankfully, they had that rule because we had not won a game all year. We weren't undefeated. We were defeated. And I remember we went to this basketball tournament right outside of uh, Frederick, Maryland. And we lost both games decisively. And the girls were very rejected. We went the whole season and didn't win a game. I went to Pizza Hut back when Pizza Hut was a thing. You know, Pizza Hut's not a thing anymore. We went to Pizza Hut and uh, the the table was really quiet. We had one grade girl named Kayla on the team and she was being a clown and everyone was annoyed with her. And the girls were just really put out. And I looked at these girls and I said, look, do you want to win next year? And they're all like, yes, we want to win. We were the youngest team in the league, by the way, as well. It was my first year coaching them. I said, then in order for the team to get better, please don't miss this. In order for the team to get better, the individuals on the team have to get better. You you get better as individuals in the offseason season." And then we get better as a team during the season. So if you want to not be defeated next year and you want to have a winning record, then you got to go play basketball all summer long. Now, that comes after you go to church and after you walk with God. But good night, your teenage girls, it's better you're out playing basketball and sweating and working than it is that you're sitting in front of a TV uh, uh, eating Cheetos all day. So get out and play basketball. And i got to tell you, those girls, I challenged them that day at that table. And uh, and it was quiet. But they did. They went out and played basketball all summer long. And I noticed the next year when I got them in the first practice that the team was just different. The mentality was different. The mindset was different. The skill level was much higher, what I was working with. And we got in that first game, and we were playing the school that had just stomped all over us the year before. And we beat that team by 30 points that first night. You know how the team got better? The individuals got better. Now, we look up there at the evolution of the church. The church is a corporate body of believers. But that corporate body is made up of individuals. So if the church is going to get better, then the individual players have to get better. Plenty of people come to a church and they sit around and they criticize it. Well, we don't have this, and we don't do that, and we don't, uh, uh, we're don't. we missing this program. And that church up the road, they have this shiny thing, and they've got this glitz and glamour, and we don't have that. And I've got to say that if our church isn't what you want it to be, then step up your game and you get better. And if we'll all do that, we'll be the church that God wants us to be. The evolution of the church, notice here first, it, the, it's growth process. It's growth process. Look down at Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that you can be confident of, it is that Christ is doing a work to make you better. Now, i got to tell you, I love the fact that I'm being sanctified. I love it. Love it. I love that God is bent on on molding me and changing me into the Lord Jesus Christ and in his image. Love it. In theory. I don't love it when I've, done, when I've sinned and the Holy Spirit is treating my heart like a punching bag. I don't love that part. I don't love when I have a blowout argument with someone. Because someone's pushed my buttons and exposed my weaknesses as a person. I don't like having my unsanctified parts exposed. That part's not fun. But we've got to identify where we're weak. And we've got to ask the Lord to help us and grow us. But if there's one thing, and that word confidence runs all through chapter 1. If there's one thing we can be certain of is that Jesus Christ is working to perform in us, both individually and as a church, the finished work of Christ, the growth of process growing is not fun how many of you here in your teen years or pre-teen years experience growth pains anybody here experience growth pains i i can remember i'd go uh running sprints on the basketball team as a teenager and having these sharp pains at times and then dull pain at other times in my in my shins and complaining to my dad and complaining to my coach and they worked on the way i was running and then uh, i finally they just said look you're you're growing like an inch a month It's a growth pain. It's a growth pain. And there is a growth process. And to grow at times is painful. And it's necessary. Next notice, it's gospel preaching, the evolution of the church. Now, I believe that the growth process and the gospel preaching run hand in hand. Please don't miss something to say here. Some people say, I'll start giving out the gospel once I've grown enough in the Lord. The problem with that is that those people never grow enough in the Lord to believe they're ready to give out the gospel. You say, well, pastor, when should I start giving out the gospel? The day you get saved. You ought to start giving out the gospel. You say, but I don't know how. You just look at someone and say, I don't know all the ins and outs, but I can tell you what Jesus did for me. I can tell you what he did for me and because i can tell you what jesus did for me he can do it for you too and you don't have to be eloquent you don't have to know all the verses in the bible to tell others about how jesus saved you now speaking about this from a church standpoint let's look at a couple of things here first notice they're missionary they're missionary this was a gospel preaching church, and they were preaching it in Philippi. We'll look at that in a minute. But uh, on top of preaching it in Philippi, they were sending out Paul and supporting Paul so that he could take the gospel everywhere. Look at chapter 1 verse number 12. It says, But I would, uh, you should understand brethren, that the thing which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other uh, places, and many of the brethren in the Lord confident by my bonds uh, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So this is the reason why many people believe that Paul was probably uh, in Rome is because he says it was made manifest in all the palace, all the palace. So uh, Paul is under house arrest, most likely here uh, under watch of Roman guards. And Paul is boldly preaching the gospel on behalf of the church of Philippi. Because they're supporting him. And I'll just say here, I am thankful that our church supports so many missionaries. And I would encourage you, get in on the giving of getting the gospel around the globe. I can't think of a a better investment. I was at Walmart with my wife earlier today, buying some things for the church. And uh, uh, we we were doing that little checkout, a self-checkout. And they ask you, do you want to donate to Children's Hospital? You, You ever hear that? You ever see that? And, and I gotta tell you, I generally check no. I know that you probably think bad of me for that. But the reason for that is because, um, uh, I have a charity I give to called White Oak Baptist Church. And our, our gospel, our money goes not just to feed bellies, because it does do that in some cases, but we're, we're, we're not just fulfilling people's physical need. We're, we're supporting people like Buna and T. Haas who take the gospel to all those people that I can't pronounce their name in Cambodia. Amen? And so get in on the giving and let's support missions around the globe. So we see there were mission minded church. Next is their maturation, their maturation. Look at verse 15. And I wonder if Paul maybe isn't pointing out their growth process in the in the in the giving of the gospel. Look at 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. The, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, uh, knowing that I am set for the uh, defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding uh, every way, uh, whether in pretense or in truth, uh, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I don't like dragging um, um, church politics into the pulpit. So I'll be vague in what I'm about to say here. But there are pastors around America all preaching the same gospel message, standing on the same King James Bible, and they fight with each other. I remember once I sat in a church and the pastor got up, and I thought that his outline was the names of pastors of independent Baptist churches around America. He was just getting getting up in a a local church, not not a preacher's conference, picking on pastors because he didn't like the way they did things. And here's what Paul had to say about that. He said, some people preach Christ contentiously, and some people preach Christ with a loving spirit. Paul said, who cares? As long as Christ is preached, I'm happy. I'm happy. And that's what's important is that Christ is preached. Now, I have given the gospel. I've, I've been going soul winning since I was a little boy. And I've given out the gospel to people in ways that were kind. And I've given the gospel in ways that were not so kind. And you say, well, which was the right way? Well, I think it's always right to speak the truth in love. And God has helped uh, uh, mature me to a place of knowing how to give the gospel. Listen, there are times I meet someone and they need me to save them even as uh, by fire, Jude 23, right? You're you're dangling them over hell. But then there's other times where you're pouring the compassion and love of Christ all over them because they already know they're guilty. But there needs to be a a maturity there. And uh, we don't need to criticize anyone who gives the gospel. Here is my stance on other churches and pastors, all right? If the church preaches the gospel the right way, I'm for them. I'm for them. Now, some some churches may use a different version of the Bible than I do. And I'm not going to associate with them. I'm not going to have them preach for me. I'm not going to go preach for them. But the people that get saved in their church, if they get saved, they're saved. Some people use music in their church. I will never allow in this church. I'm probably not going to go preach for them, and they're probably not going to have me go preach. We're probably not going to go preach for each other. But if Christ is preached, I'm not going to criticize them. I'm just not going to criticize them. I'm going to praise God that the gospel is preached. The church I was married in, down in Maryland, um, I don't know that I would ever even attend a church service there anymore. They've gone a direction I'm just not comfortable with. But they are seeing hundreds of people saved every year. And I praise the Lord for that. And so I'm not going to be critical of that. And that ought to be our maturation. Next notice, their magnification. Their magnification. Look at verse number 20. It says, according to my earnest expectation of my home, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it is by life or by death. Christ shall be magnified. If your life could be compared to a magnifying glass, what would people say is the main topic or the main word on the page that your life rests upon? For some of you moms in here, it's your kids, right? Or your husband. For some of you people in here that are career-driven, it is your job, the name of the company you work for. i got to say that above all those things, it ought not be your kids or your husband or your job or entertainment or anything else. It ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ, that my body magnify Christ. I had a report this week of a church member who texted me and said that he had an opportunity to boldly proclaim Christ at work. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He said it got awkwardly silent after that, but that meant the Christ was working, uh, the gospel was working. Uh, again, appropriate, never out of line with what the employer would ask. You are on his time, but where that is appropriate, give the gospel. Let let our life. Magnify Christ. Now look back here with me at the main point. The evolution of the church. How does the church evolve? It evolves when the church grows. How does the church grow? The church grows when the individuals in the church grow. How do the individuals in the church grow? When the individuals in the church are willing to proclaim Christ. Now, i got to tell you tonight that baby steps are key. Uh, uh, uh you say pastor i don't know how to go and confront a complete stranger with the gospel and show them how to go to heaven. It, the thought of that just just Gives me the heebie-jeebies. I could never, ever do that. I could never see myself doing that. Well, can you do this? Can you get some uh, uh, high, uh, um, uh, some professional-looking, uh, first-class uh, uh, gospel tracts out of the back of our uh, auditorium here or in our lobby? And can you put those in your purse or your pocket? And can you just hand those, begin by handing those to people that you know that don't go to church? That's a baby step. On the back is the gospel. And you can say something like this. September 16th is Friend Day at White Oak Baptist Church. Will you come and be my friend at church? You say, oh, pastor, that won't work. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Uh, I was at Webster Bank uh, earlier this week. And I've gotten to know the president of the bank or the bank manager really, really well. I've been working on a relationship with him for two years now. I've probably had... Eight nine conversations with the guy, lengthy conversations with the guy, everything from sports to uh, uh, politics. I'm careful there; uh, uh, people are all over the place on that topic. Um, uh, even in church, people are all over the place on the topic. Uh, I've, uh, everything. Uh, we we sat we stood and talked uh, the other day about how to grow a bank. I learned a lot from him about that. But I looked at him after some frustration expressed with the Catholic Church, and I said, "We're having a friend day at our church this uh, coming," and I told him the date. I said, "Do you think you could come and and be my guest that day?" He looked at me, took the gospel tract for me, and with the address on there, he said, "I'm going to come. I'll be there. I'll be there on Friend Day." It works, folks. It works. You say, "Oh, that's because you're the pastor." It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a pastor. You take those gospel tracks and you may not know how to walk someone down the Romans road, but you can give that to them and you can invite them. And then uh, as the next step comes available, you can uh, 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 go with someone and listen to them give the gospel. And then in time, you can step out and you can do that. But the growth of the church comes from the giving of the gospel. That is the evolution of the church. Number two, next notice, Paul's expectation of life. Paul's expectation of life. Now, um... If you are new to the Christian walk, then um, this is going to seem radical and extreme, what Paul says. But I've got to tell you that if you've been doing this a while, this ought to be the goal where you get to. Look at verse 21. First notice there his inner conflict. Let's look at Paul's inner conflict. It says, therefore, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we know that verse, right? I'm looking around the room. Most of you have been going to church a long, long time. So that verse kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Stop and let's look at that verse again. Think about what it says. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a power-packed verse. What Paul is saying is, I'm in prison I'm waiting, I may die, I may live. He said, if I continue to live, then my life is Christ. Life, for Paul, equals Christ. Wow! I wish I could say that. I don't know that I can quite say that yet. Then he said this, to die is gain. Death equals gain. Now, in theory... We all know that when we die, we're going to heaven, right? And we're going to gain. How many are ready to take the next train? Okay. Um, we have a gas chamber in the back. No, I'm just teasing. Um, nobody's ready to just, just, you know, get in a nasty car accident on the way home and die. Maybe if you could die in your sleep tonight, right? Eh, that would be less painful. Um, uh, but, But Paul said, look. I would rather, at this point in my life, die than live. That's where I'm at. It's not that I hate my life. It's that I know what's on the other side. I think Paul was a little privileged because God let him see heaven. But but Paul was ready to go. Look at his inner conflict here. Let's keep reading verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor, speaking of living, yet what I shall choose I wot not. Uh, for I am in a strait betwixt two. I'm, I'm torn inside of what I want. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you uh, uh, all for, the, for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant uh, in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So he's saying here, listen, I, I I'm torn between do I want to live do I want to die? Both are a possibility. I could get death and execution, or I could be released and allowed to be free. Being free, I can come back and minister to you. I can go start more churches. My life equals uh, the gospel of Christ. My death equals great gain in heaven. I don't know which one I would rather have. I don't know if I want to live so I can keep doing these communities because heaven uh these church communities, because heaven looks so inviting. He says, but 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 while I want heaven i love you all and i want to minister to you and i want to uh, uh, start more churches and see more people saved we see paul's expectation of life he had gotten to a place where uh uh, to breathe air was to further christ that's just how it was for him Uh, he wasn't thinking about sports he wasn't thinking about entertainment he wasn't thinking about his next meal he wasn't thinking about some job to live was to preach christ to preach christ was to live and i got to tell you, I'm not all the way there yet, but uh, I'm hoping that God will work that in my life and make me more of that image. And Paul said, I love uh, what I do so much, but heaven is so enticing, and so I can be content with whatever uh, whatever comes my way. Number three, or, or rather, notice next there, his uh, letter B, his outer concern. His inner conflict, his outer concern. And Paul was expressing an expectation here, not only for the church before himself. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation, your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul just told us his is. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving not against each other, but striving together for the faith of the gospel. What was his, his outer concern? That the church would get along? And that they would work arm in arm, uh, hand in hand, in pushing forth the gospel of Christ to the community. That was Paul's concern. You know, churches that are not... Churches that that, that are inward focused instead of outward focused, they fight, they squabble, they tear each other to shreds. But you show me a church that has their eyes... Focused on the community at large around them. And I'll show you a church that works to get along. We've got to focus our attention on the community. A couple of years ago I was preaching a sermon. and I talked about being able to take a helicopter up above the greater Stratford area. And in that helicopter there being a panel. And maybe you push the blue button and all of the people down below you uh, that, are, uh, that are clinically depressed, they light up blue. How many people would light up blue? You turn the blue button off and you hit the red button. Everyone that's having major marriage problems, they light up red. How many people light up red? All the people that are addicted to drugs or some sort of a sinful addiction, you hit the yellow button and they light up yellow. You just stop and think about that. You're up in a helicopter, you're looking down and all these dots. Tens of thousands of them. Sometimes we get so self-absorbed in our own bubble with our own problems that we forget that the world is broken around us. And Paul said, hey, stop your squabbling inside the church. Be of one mind. Be of one spirit. And strive. No, don't strive with each other. Strive together. Lock arms Fill your hands full of gospel tracts in the in the Bible and go forth and tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be your lifestyle and do it together. Uh uh how many of you here have ever been to a tractor pull competition? Anybody? We're city folk here, aren't we? Tractor pull competition. Have a couple of you been to Okay. The concept is they have a weight and uh they'll they'll hook that up to a tractor. And the weight moves uh, moves from back to front. Am I getting this right, guys? And as it moves from back to front, it gets harder to pull. And so the goal is to see which tractor can pull that weight the furthest. I have also seen this done with horses. And they'll, they'll see how far the horses can pull this weight as the weight moves on the mechanism from back to front. And you know what? You can take two horses and run them out there. But then when you put them in the same yoke... And you have them pull together, they pull far more weight than the two weights individually combined. Look, I can go out on my own. Please hear this. I can go out on my own without the church, and I can preach the gospel. And you can go out on your own without the church, and you can preach the gospel. But when we put that zeal together in a room or in a a team, and you go out and you work it together, boy, much more is accomplished for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying you can't be effective with the gospel to your community if you're fighting with each other from within. And so lock arms and go forth and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Number one, we looked at the evolution of the church. Number two, uh, Paul's expectation of life. Number three, notice the epitome of Christianity. The epitome of Christianity. Now, Philippians chapter 2 1 through 11 is going to tell us exactly how the Christian life ought to be lived. And boy, it's it's marvelous. Okay, now. Um to give you the breakdown here, verse 5 again, the key verse of the book. The whole book centers around let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That the whole book centers around that. Now, within the chapter, verse 1 down through verse 4 gives us letter A, the formula The formula. You can throw that next one up there for me. The formula. There it is. So this is going to give us the formula. Okay? Uh, Verse 5 tells us what we're trying to accomplish. And then verse 6 through 11 gives us an example. Well, let's look at verses 1 through uh, 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 4 here. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy... That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better uh, than themselves, looking not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So let me give you the formula here. First notice, we must... Uh, learn his love we must learn his love again back in verse 1 it says there uh, if any comfort of love verse 2 says uh, they're uh, uh, having the same love having the same love so it, it, what is the formula for Christian living it's learning to love like our Lord it's learning to love like our Lord it's loving others the way the Lord has loved us and the way the Lord loves others have you ever had someone just do you dirty? you ever had someone really do you wrong? It wasn't like ambiguous or where there were two versions of the story. They knew they did you wrong and you knew they did you wrong. And I mean, it was bad. We've probably all had that, right? Do you know what love is? Love is loving that person who's done you wrong anyway. Matthew 5, 44. Right? Love your enemies. Pray for them that curse you. That's, that's love. That's biblical love. So we're going to learn to love like the Lord. We've got to look down from our suffering the way Christ looked down from the cross and say, Father, forgive them. Now, you ever had someone do you wrong like that? And you pray like I pray or used to pray? <laughs> it's this. Tempted to pray still? Um, God, will you spank that child of yours real hard? They did me wrong. Will you, will you just drop the hammer on them right now? Drop it on them. That's how I, that's how I used to pray. That's how I'm still tempted to pray sometimes. And God looks down at me and he, he this is what he said to me. He said, I don't drop the hammer down on you right away when you blow it. So, do you want me to show you mercy? Or do you want me to drop the hammer? Oh, well then if you want me to give you mercy, then you better let me give them mercy too. Oh, and by the way, my version and way of correcting them is better than yours. So, we've got to learn his love. We're going to live out the Christian life. We've got to love the way Christ loves. Now, Let me throw a disclaimer in there. If you have jurisdiction over someone, such as a child or an employee, okay, you don't wait for God to punish them. He put you there to punish them. So you do what God's called you to do. But we must learn his love. Next, uh, uh, in the formula here, we must be like-minded. We must be like-minded. Chapter 2, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be... Like-minded, like-minded, and we talked about this already, but this is, if I tune my mind to Christ and Jason down here tunes his mind to Christ, guess what? We're going to start thinking like each other. So, I want to become like Christ and I want Jason to become like Christ and uh, we're going to get along real well. So, we need a church full of people like that. Uh, next, we must learn his lowliness. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others uh, better than themselves. This Saturday, I'm speaking at a a Sunday school conference down in New Jersey. And uh, one of the things they, uh, the topic they asked me to teach on was uh, uh, how to deal with different type of church members. And so uh, in my research and study for that lesson, I googled what are, uh, human's basic psychological needs. And I got this little pyramid. And inside the pyramid, there was a word that made me laugh out loud. LOL. It said self-esteem. And I said, ha, 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 We need self-esteem? No, we don't need self-esteem. Prisons are filled with people that have high self-esteem. Uh, self-esteem uh, is not even in the Bible. What kind of esteem is there in the Bible? We're to esteem Christ, and we're to esteem others. Look back at verse number, uh, let's see, verse number four there. uh, uh, Rather, verse three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, not themselves, not self-esteem. If your child is having a hard time, it's not because they have low self-esteem. It's because they have a lot of pride. Okay, my child gets picked on sometimes. And he comes home with his feelings hurt. And I say, get over yourself. Just, just get over yourself. Just stop it. You know what? Everybody gets picked on sometimes. You're going to go get a job in the real world someday? You're going to get stepped on sometimes. You better learn how to deal with it now while you're eight or nine. Right? You say, oh, you're so mean. That's why he has a mama, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't, need, he doesn't need two mamas. He needs one mama, not two. I'm not going to be his mama. Um, his mama can can take up his case and feel sorry for him. I'm not doing that. Um, uh, But we've got to learn the lowliness of Christ, his humility. Um, What is humility? Humility is realizing that I deserve to go to hell so everything else I get in life is good. You don't like the way someone looked at you? The people in hell would rather have somebody look bad at them here on earth than be in hell. You don't like the diagnosis from the doctor? Whatever pain you're suffering, the people in hell would trade places with you in a heartbeat. What is humility? Humility is a perspective that I'm not in hell. And so I'm going to be okay no matter what is said to me. Lowliness of mind. Next, we must learn how to look. We must learn how to look. Look at verse four. Look not every man on his own things. Can I just sum that up? Stop being self-absorbed. That's what that means. But every man also on the thing of things of others. Now that doesn't mean that you need to be uh, um, uh, peeking in everyone's business and a busybody. That's not what that means. That means that you need to be concerned about other people so you can help them. So look every man on the things of others. If you see that someone is struggling financially, you can step up and help them out. That's biblical. You see that maybe someone can't put coats on their children for the winter. You take their children and buy them coats for the winter. Uh, you see that a, a family, their their cupboards are bare. and They don't have any food in their house. Instead of criticizing their style of life... Take take them out grocery shopping and put groceries in their house. That's looking every man on the needs of others. You see that someone had a relative pass away and they're heartbroken. You're there to comfort them and to love them. That's looking every man on the things of others. That's the mind of Christ. So again, verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what is the mind of Christ? Well, it's it's learning how to love. It's being like minded. It's learning his lowliness and it's learning how to look. Quit looking at yourself and being self-absorbed and start looking ...out at the needs of others. Uh, there was a man walking down a sidewalk in a, a busy park one day... ...with a man who studied nature and uh, could hear just the finest things of nature. And uh, the, the, there was people everywhere on the sidewalk as they are walking through this woods. And, 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 and the man says to his friend, he says, did you hear this bird chirping? He's like, I, I didn't hear anything. And did you hear this animal doing this? He said, I, I, I didn't hear it. He said, the reason why you can't hear these animals and I can... It's because I have my ears tuned to them. He said, we all have our ears tuned to something. He said, watch this. He reached down in his pocket. He got a handful of coins and he dropped them all over the sidewalk. And all of the bustle and hustle and noise, everybody stopped and turned and looked. He said, do you know why people heard the coin sitting the pavement, but they didn't hear the tree frog and this bird? It's because their ears are tuned to money. Now, are your eyes tuned to your own needs or are your eyes tuned on others' needs? We've got to learn how to look. The formula. Let's look at uh, uh, letter B, the fulfillment. The fulfillment. The beautiful thing is that we're just not given this theory to go live. We're given an example of how to live it. And uh, in, in Philippians 2 and chapter 3, uh, there are a few examples given. But the supreme example of how to live out the Christian life, the epitome of Christianity, is lived out through the person of Jesus Christ. First, notice Christ's seat in heaven. Christ's seat in heaven. Look at verse 6. Who, speaking of Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus left his throne in heaven. Um, anyone wants, wants to argue with you that Jesus isn't God? There's all kinds of places in the Bible you can take them. Philippians 2.6 is a good spot. He was equal with God. Christ's seat in heaven, all right? Uh, you think, well, uh, that task is below me or that style of living is below me. If, if Christ can leave his throne in heaven and, and do what he did, there is nothing that's below us. Next, I'll move through these quickly here. Christ's servanthood. Christ's servanthood. Look at verse number 7 there. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And the whole life of Christ was a total paradox. It was, let me show you that I'm God by being your servant. What? Let me show you how powerful I am. By showing that power in the form of self-restraint and getting down and washing your feet and loving you. Christ's servanthood. Next, notice Christ's suffering. Look at verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. The man who created life became obedient to death. What a profound thought. Even the death of the cross. He suffered for us. Late, lastly, notice Christ's subjects. Verse 10 and 11, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. There's going to be a day where every person, whether they praise God on earth or not, praise the Lord, blaspheme His name, they're going to bow to Him. But you know why that's going to happen? Because He was willing to leave the throne... Come to the earth, become a servant, suffer on the cross and die for our sins, raise from the dead. Because of that, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I finish with this verse. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Either you've got to humble your heart or you will be humiliated. But you cannot be Raised up until you have a humble heart. And then when you're raised, you must keep the perspective of who raised you up. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. We'll close in prayer. Children, we're getting dismissed at this very minute. So we'll pray and and we'll go. I challenge you tonight to think through the many, many thoughts that were shared. I could take any one of these points and turn them into a full sermon. And so we're rushing through this. uh, uh, But uh, I hope that many of the things that were covered tonight were a blessing to you. Let's be uh, dismissed. With a word of prayer. Mike Ginkowski, if you would close us in prayer.